Leadership Redefined. And welcome, everyone, to the Leadership Redefined podcast. Um, I'm here with Anthony and a special guest, Patrick O'Rourke. Patrick, I'll let you introduce yourself. Welcome, Anthony. Good afternoon. Uh, Patrick, I'll let you introduce yourself from CU Boulder, but I'll let you do the rest. Hi there. Uh, So thanks first, Al and Anthony, for inviting me to be part of the podcast. I'm awfully excited to be here today. Uh, My name is Pat O'Rourke, and I'm the Executive Vice Chancellor and Chief Operating Officer for the University of Colorado Boulder campus. Excellent. And Patrick, I've gotten to know you uh, this past year, really, um, uh, moderately well, and I've enjoyed so many of our conversations around leadership. Uh, You have an interesting background. so I want to set it up first by sort of where you started. I know you, you have a law background and then you got into the higher ed, which is a very, it's a unique track. So can you speak to sort of how you got there? And I want to talk a little bit about your leadership style and how you go about, uh, uh, you know, running a pretty good sector in uh, CU Boulder there. Yeah. So um, you mentioned it a second ago, I graduated from law school uh, about 25 years ago, and it's hard for me to be able to admit that now, but that's the <laughs> case. And I, at the time I got out of law school, it was back in the world where when you graduated, you would go to work for a law firm. And the notion was that you would work hard and make partner and stay there. Um, but as things worked out shortly after I made partner in my law firm, uh, the University of Colorado's general counsel recruited me to come and run the university's litigation office. And the university was going through a, a, a rough patch of litigation with some big cases. And I went in-house to be able to do those cases and was lucky enough to be able to do what really were three or four once-in-a-lifetime cases within a three or four-year period. Um, after that, the Board of Regents, which is our governing board of the university, promoted me beyond my competence to be the general counsel for the university and the secretary for the board. And in that role, I had a really great legal team of about 25 lawyers who did 99.9% of the real legal work, and they'd come to me whenever they had a, a problem. And I did that for about eight years. Um, and then I was kind of like, okay, I've done this and was thinking about what to do next. Phil Stefano called me up and he's the chancellor of the Boulder campus. Um, he said that my predecessor in this chief operating officer role, a really wonderful person named Kelly Fox was going to another institution. And I immediately went into kind of board secretary mode and said, that's a really big deal. I'm going to have to tell the board and was mentally processing that. And I almost missed the next thing, which is Phil said, and I'd like you to think about taking on that role. And I immediately said, you know, that's not what I do. I'm the lawyer. Um, And he said, well, come have lunch with me. And I was like, well, at least I get a free lunch out of it. Um, (laughs) And so um, but this was over the Thanksgiving holiday. And I went down and talked to my my wife. Um, and she said, well, you know, that's a big deal that Kelly's leaving, right? And I said, yeah, it's a big deal because, you know, Kelly was really important on the Boulder campus. And then I told my wife, you know, and this would involve HR and IT and facilities and governmental relations and communications. And she was like, well, that's not what you do. And I was like, right, that's not what I do. But <laughs> I went and talked to Phil and 
And Phil said, you know, I don't need you to be the IT person or the HR person. I need you to come and help be a leadership voice on the campus. And so I was really honored that he uh, thought that I could take on that role. I'm definitely an anomaly. If you go around the country, um, you know, there's a bunch of people who have titles like mine, um, but almost all of them have a background in finance or university budgeting and and the fiscal side of the operation. And my wife doesn't even let me have access to a checkbook. Um, and so um, I'm a little bit of, a, of an odd man out in terms of what the profile is for doing this type of job, but I've really liked it and been able to take on uh, this leadership challenge. Well, well we've seen, Patrick, and, and we have a lot of different leaders on the show from uh, corporate to education, K-12, higher ed. Uh, your background is unique for sure in this, in this position that you're in. But what has struck me in my conversations with you is, and you, and you heard it a little bit in what you were, how are you uh, speaking about yourself, is that, hu that humility um, and that understanding that, um, number one, it's okay as a leader not to know everything, right? And not to know uh, the details of what everyone under your purview um, has to do, right? And, and sort of letting go and accepting that. That's some, something I, I, I've admired through my conversations with you. Um, and I think, Anthony, you subscribe to that as well. Can you speak to that as far? Because there's a lot of leaders who think that they go into those positions and say, all right, I have to know everything. I have to control everything. Um, and there's trust or lack of in depending on which way you go with that. So can you speak to that aspect? Because I really do think that would be beneficial for our audience to sort of hear uh, that aspect of, of your sort of drive. And also speak to your leadership sort of style in general as well, if you could. Yeah, well, and I think it would be first fair to say that, like a lot of people, I'm a, I'm a work in progress. Um, and so I've had to evolve over time because when I was a trial lawyer um, doing the litigation, my stock in trade was knowing everything about my case. You know, if I went into a courtroom, I had to know everything and I was going to be the expert and I may not have been the, the most talented lawyer, but nobody was going to know more about the case than, than I did. And that was kind of my strength. Um, but it, it feels like as I've had to progress in a leadership journey, you have to be comfortable understanding that if you try to, to know everything, first, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. um, and second, that it's going to put you in a position where it leads to a, a, a perception that your people think that you don't trust them. Um, because if you're overly into all of the, everything that they're doing, it's, it, it can be seen as a lack of confidence in their ability to be able to, to manage their own operations. So I've had to become a whole lot more comfortable in being able to deal with ambiguity, um, and being in a place where you have to recognize that you're going to be able to and called upon to make decisions without knowing all the facts. And that was one of the big difference when, you, when, you know, you're doing the lawsuit, a lot of times you're dealing with situations and decisions that made that people made years earlier, but now you're making those decisions and you have to make those in, in real time, often with imperfect knowledge um, and where things are evolving and, and get more comfortable with that. And you have to get to the point where, 
you recognize that um, you've got to rely upon the expertise of others and a failure to do so, it could be crippling. I mean, if our facilities person comes and says, hey, I think we need to spend $3 million on asbestos remediation, you know, I may be able to ask some questions about it. But fundamentally, I don't know anything about asbestos remediation. And it would be a bad idea for me to try to step in and say, no, I think we should, you know, remediate it some other way. Um, so I, I'm, I'm becoming much more comfortable with it's building the relationship of trust with your team um, that is way more important than trying to know everything. And Anthony, it probably mirrors some superintendent uh, things for you too. Oh, Thoughts from you, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Uh, I think that uh, you know, I've been teaching leadership and been a leader for a long time. And, and as I'm listening to you speak, you know, I, I always want to convey to my students that so much about leadership is common sense, and and those who don't have common sense don't tend to make the best leaders. And, you know, you have a lot of those attributes, including your humility. I think that that's something that quite often leaders don't necessarily show. But, you know, I, in, in some of what I've read about academia in terms of leadership and, and you know, there's this concept of sense-making. Um, and I wonder if, if you have experienced that kind of concept, just sense-making, trying to make sense, as you're saying, of what you have to think about, what you have to decide, um, or how you, you deal with people. Um, is that something that's critical to your arsenal of leadership skills? Yeah. I mean, so um, there will probably be somebody who hears our conversation and disagrees with me on this point, but higher ed, despite having so many smart people, is oftentimes really irrational in the way that we do stuff. Um, you know, we've got, uh, if you looked at corporate America and said, hey, we've got this concept called shared governance where it's the faculty who are supposed to be in charge of the, the decision-making within the institution as it relates to matters of academic concern. They would go, wait a minute, you know, how does that work? Um, and we've, uh, we're really decentralized in places, but we've got uh, a strong culture that really is resistant to a lot of things that other people would say are our best management practices. Um, and so we have to understand our culture. And part of that is helping with that sense-making function that you just described, which is to be able to understand the needs of the institution, because we've, we're a business that doesn't like to think of itself as a business. Mm -hmm. We have students who in many respects are customers who are coming and paying tuition, but we've got a, a much different relationship with our customers in that, you know, we are responsible for evaluating them and they're responsible for earning a degree. And so, it, you know, our product is, is different. Um, and so, it's making sense in in that type of environment, which takes an awful lot of time to listen and a lot of time to be able to understand what your different communities need because there's there's no single community that is um, that you can easily define what their needs and interests. How do you, how do you do so Patrick, I'll let you ask as well, Anthony. So how do you um, 
you're in charge of obviously a large uh, unit in, in, a, in one of the premier spots in Colorado and in institutions. And you have so many of these folks that you have to listen to, have to have cohesion with, collaboration with, you have to make informed decisions. Is there a strategy that you could share with aspiring leaders or leaders today that, that you uh, subscribe to uh, to make that um, happen in, in, a, in a genuine, organic uh, an effective, efficient way. Um, so I wish I could say that I had a coherent strategy, um, I, but it's it's a challenge right now um, because we came. I came into this role uh, just weeks before COVID hit, and we had to switch to remote classes and. Then we had to deal with a bunch of things that affected the Boulder community in particular. We had a King Super shooting in which we lost several members of our our community and that our police force actually responded to. Um, We had what was a student riot in the neighborhood immediately adjacent to campus. We had a resurgence of COVID then followed by a wildfire that destroyed over a thousand homes in our community and affected um, over a hundred of our faculty and staff lost their houses. And so right now I wish I could say that I have a good strategy as to how you engage with all of those people and you make decisions and make sure things are getting the right attention. Um, But I'm struggling somewhat because it feels like we've been in crisis management mode for, for an extended period of time. And really, I think the next challenge is shifting to what you described, which is how do we shift back to being so reactive to being able to think strategically to be able to build the decision-making processes. And we're in a really fascinating place because we made decisions in COVID times in days that in higher ed normally would have taken years. Years, exactly. Um, and now the question That's is- true, true, yeah. How do we take the experience that we had there about how we actually could be nimble when we had to and bring it back into the culture of the organization in a way that still respects, you know, what academia is and that you do want to have it be deliberative and thoughtful. Um, So we're in a place where our, how we think about problems and our decision-making and our culture has to, has to evolve. Yeah, and I think that applies to Anthony. I want to let you ask your question. Yeah, well. it's okay. Yeah, but that applies to higher uh, this this area, as you mentioned, has seen a lot of really uh, tragic things happen in tumultuous times. Um, I think, in general, though, higher ed uh, is looking at that all over the country, all over the world. Like, how do we get back to uh, get away from that reactive and get back to a strategic approach to where we want to be? We talk about futuring a lot and uh, leadership uh, redefined and and just sort of getting to your preferable future versus the one that's sort of happening uh, by default and uh, that's those that's that's that could that will resonate hopefully with with anyone in higher ed and leadership in general Anthony yeah no first of all the characterization before of, of higher ed administration and it was right on the money and uh, articulated so well and as I was listening to you, you speak about um, some of these issues with, with futuring, and, and that's another question I want, wanted to ask. And, and it seems to me that universities 
and particularly private universities are going to struggle over the next, I don't know, decade. Um, it's what I, I read a lot about uh, the challenges. Um, and I'm wondering if you have thoughts about what you think some of the challenges are for, and not just Colorado, but, you know, for higher ed in general that have been left in the wake of the pandemic and, and COVID. Um, Cause I think it's changed a lot of the mentality, even of students um, not wanting to come to campus or in a face-to-face class. Uh, and, and I can't see how a university can survive if it doesn't develop that, not only that nimbleness, that willingness to make decisions and to to become more competitive and think out of the box because i think you're right these decisions would have taken years to make uh in a normal situation so i mean when you think about the the higher ed sector you have to think about it in in different pockets so i mean you can look at us at the the University of Colorado, and we're you know an AAU R one research institution. And one of the comforting things about my job is that pretty much no matter how much I screw up, we're still going to be here. Um, but there's there's a lot of privates and a lot of smaller schools that I think really are looking at at are we going to be here in the in the years to come. Um, and so there's probably going to be some consolidation of higher ed um, because some of those institutions are are not going to be here. And that's a much different problem than the one that I'd be looking at, which is how do we how do we best serve? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fundamental thing that we're beginning to realize is that first, people are going to have have choice. Um, If you look at the projected enrollments nationwide, those are going to be declining in the years ahead. Um, And so it's going to be a more competitive market where it's going to be driven by the demand created by by the students um, who who are going to be choosing where they want to get their education. But I also think that there is a real fundamental shift um, in what the expectations are, which is that we need to be not just thinking of ourselves as, you know, the place where people come and get degrees. Um, we're seeing a lot of strain within our staff, within our faculty, within our students from things like mental health perspectives. Um, we're being looked at to be able to say, how do we create campuses that meet a societal need to be more just and equitable and inclusive? Um, and so, the nature of how it is that we operate and the means by which we are expected to be able to support our people, not just in terms of being able to get a degree and embark on their careers, but their growth as and, and safety as people um, is something that I think is really going to be the thing that's going to differentiate those institutions that thrive and those institutions that struggle. And where we have to do a better job of being able to to support not just our students but our faculty and our staff who are who, who depend upon us and maybe I'm just you know buying drinking our own Kool Aid um, you know we got talented folks um, and a lot of times we're not going to be able to compete with the private sector based on money. Um, that we can offer to people. But we, what we can do is give them an experience where they want to be connected to our mission and where they feel like what they're doing 
brings value. Um, and that's the, that I think that's really the mission ahead. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. We're just, just about at time here. Um, but, uh, I just want to, uh, so what I'll do here is just, uh, I'll, I'll give, uh, Anthony, uh, a chance to just sort of wrap up myself and then we'll leave you with the last word. Uh, I want to thank you. I, I hope that, uh, part of what we do here with these podcasts is hopefully inspire uh, innovation, inspire leaders that sort of think out, outside of or inspire others to listen to the leaders like yourself that think outside the box um, and have this really incredible understanding. Um, and at your, at your base, if you're listening to you, and I've listened to you a few times down in this podcast, uh, one of your key elements that you bring to the table as a leader is that you do listen, process, and are able to empathize and understand the needs, especially of our students um, in higher ed in general, but of others that you work with, uh, that work under your purview. Um, and I appreciate you coming on and just sharing that with folks. And uh, you're in uh, a, a, a pretty high position at CU and you still have that humility, you still have that empathy, you still have that understanding. Um, and that, that that's not the case in, in positions like yours in everywhere. I'm sure some do, but it's not the case uh, everywhere. So I appreciate you and I appreciate that. Uh, Anthony? Yeah, I, I just want to say you know, I've struggled probably more with trying to understand and comprehend higher administration than my career in K-12. And I just want to say, just listening to you, um, you've both been very, you've been very insightful, um, hopeful, um, but certainly refreshing um, in, in your approach. And I hope you someday write a book about it, because <laughs> I think it would be a great thing for higher ed administrators to get a sense of, of the philosophy that you've kind of laid out today. So uh, thank you very much. It, it, was, uh, it was excellent. Well, it's been a genuine pleasure to, to be able to sit down with both of you. And, you know, right now I feel like I need to read a whole lot more books than ever think about, <laughs> about writing one because I'm, I'm still learning um, and trying to, to figure this out. But, I mean, I'm very grateful for what you're doing because, I mean, what we don't do often enough is we've got so many things where we're going to our next deadline and, you know, everybody's clicking out and going to their next Zoom meeting, um, actually creating a space to be able to have a conversation about the future and thinking about what it, what you can do to be a better leader. It is, that's really valuable. So I'm just super grateful that you invited me to, to spend a few minutes with you today because it means the world. And we'd love to have you back on, Patrick, if Absolutely. you're willing in, in, uh, in time. Uh, but thank you. Uh, thank you to the listeners. Thank you to coming on. And uh, I will see you soon, I'm sure, Patrick. Thank you so much. Sounds great.